stayed home, took advantage of modern technology because I didn't go to bed until mm, 3 o'clock in the morning-ish, 2.30 in the morning-ish. We finished Leafs Talk last night. Guess what? Didn't have to stay up. Did not have to stay up. Could have pre-recorded that one. I've seen the Leafs play that game a lot. That's not the first time I've seen them play down to an opponent where they essentially no-show for two periods, use their talent to get back in the game, and then dominate the way that they probably should have for longer stretches to close out, only to give up a stupid goal in overtime where everybody has essentially a brain fart. Yeah, uh, your Toronto Maple Leafs lose again to the San Jose Sharks. And, okay, sure, the standings say that, hey, they're 4-3-1 and one, and it's a flat league and nobody's really taking off with this. Okay, yeah, who cares? It's early in the season. It's not really about the record right now. It's how they look. How do you feel watching the Toronto Maple Leafs right now? How do you feel watching this team consistently have the lulls that they've had to start this regular season? Because for me, it's just it's becoming beyond frustrating. And I think that this is the case for just most Leaf fans. They're watching this. Nobody wants to be, uh, quote-unquote, negative about the team, right? People love framing things that way. Oh, don't be negative about the team. Find the positive about the team. It's just for whatever reason, this is the way that we have to frame just about every conversation. Were you being negative or were you being positive? How do you feel watching the Leafs right now? How do you feel? Do you feel good? Do you feel like you always have to be telling yourself that it will be fine? Because that's how I am. Like, that's how I'm feeling. I'm, I feel frustrated. I'm annoyed. I'm sick of it. And I'm just not enjoying them as a team. They're just not an enjoyable team to start this season. And yeah, maybe a lot of it is that they roll the same group essentially into another year and that all the shortcomings of the past couple of seasons in the playoffs are festering and it's impacting part of the viewing experience for this team and maybe if it was in a different market, maybe if the Toronto Maple Leafs weren't the Toronto Maple Leafs and they were the Columbus Blue Jackets, no one would really be feeling this way or it wouldn't be as amplified as the way that it is. But I can only tell you that it really seems like there is a frustration that's boiling over with the fan base right now that I, I cannot remember. I, I truly, like, it, it, you have to go back to Waffle Gate or whatever the hell we called it at the time. I don't know if we called it Gate, but it was the waffling. The waffling, the salute gate. Those were the times that it felt like people were this pissed. But even then, it wasn't. Like, the expectation wasn't there. There wasn't the underlying, hey, but this is a good team. You should be grateful that they're a good team. Hey, Leafs haven't had good teams before. And you want to have a bad team again? You want to go back to the bad teams? Yeah, I think that this is a good team at winning regular season games, at having top-tier talent in a flat-cap league that can accumulate enough wins and stats because of their star power players. But... We use the regular season as a testing ground for what a team is going to look like in the playoffs. And yeah, it's been eight games. So sure, you can cut it down with the sample size argument if you want. But the eight games have had way too many lulls. Way too many lulls. They've now lost to the Sharks, who 
How many of you that watched that game tonight, last night or woke up this morning and looked at the box score recognized over half of the Sharks forwards? Did You looked at that Sharks team and went, wow, there's a lot of talent on this team, actually. This is a very exciting up-and-coming team. They lost to the Montreal Canadiens. They lost to the team that is going to be playing in front of probably 2,500 fans a night in Mullet Arena, Arizona. It just, it's not been a good start to the season for a team that's trying to prove itself. And I don't think that, it's it's hard to point to a Maple Leafs player and say, oh, that that, that guy's done enough. You can maybe say Samsonov, you can maybe say Tavares. Um, beyond that, uh, I, I'm not really sure who you're supposed to point to and say. And and the thing is, is like, you know, I'm watching Elliot Friedman in the pre or during the broadcast last night, and he's kind of nailing it as usual. He's just kind of making great point after great point about this team. And he's doing the, you know, you can't worry about Austin Matthews because we can't, because we know that this group is so talented that they are going to end up with statistics. They are going to end up with success in the regular season. Maybe they don't end up first. It does feel like a bit of a wasted opportunity. Um, to not be accumulating wins, racking up wins against bad teams when you are trying to prove to people that your season is different and that you are trying to, I, I would assume you would at least hope, if you think that the public is so bad or that the media is so bad that you would try to garner the, the faith of it early, but also just for yourselves to stack points to make sure that you don't end up in that two-hole or that three-hole in the Atlantic again, facing a really, really tough opponent in the first round so that you can put this narrative to bed. But either way, you look at these guys and you know they're going to get their stats. And so you can't be overly concerned because they've put up such incredible track records. And you see it even last night, right? There are those moments. Mitch Marner just takes over. There's the tic-tac-toe play on the second goal where you go, oh, wow, that's just not a thing the Sharks players are doing. That's not a thing most teams are doing. That's the byproduct of a group of highly talented guys playing with each other in year seven. But this is what I keep coming away with with the Leafs. This is who they keep reminding me of. They are the smart kids who are bad students. And maybe the regular season is when the teachers would say to them, oh, it's just that you're not being challenged enough by this material and you need something else. But, but it's not like they've crushed the exams either. You might be brilliant, but if you don't apply yourself, where does that get you? Where does that get most of us? And that's how I feel about the Leafs. I keep coming back to it. Smart kid doesn't apply himself. Has moments where you go, God, this kid could really be something. This kid really has it. And usually when you build that up, you end up being disappointed because they don't put the work in. And frankly, this is becoming also a situation where it's the, if the whole class is failing, it's the teacher. I hate blaming the coach. People think it's the easy way out. It is. I don't think Sheldon Keefe is a bad coach at all. I think he's a good coach. I think he's smart. I think he's young. I think he's identified a lot of the problem spots with his team. But if they keep playing this way, where it's up and down, it's a roller coaster ride, there's all these lulls that they play with, all these Oh, we didn't show up. Oh, our best player didn't back check on the first goal a night after back checking was an issue against the Golden Knights. 
people are going to start to say that there isn't a, a strong enough voice in the room. I would argue my contention would be that that should be on the players. That should be on that core. That should be on the guys that are all making around 11 sheets a year combined to muster that energy, to find that amongst themselves, that they shouldn't need a motivator, that they shouldn't need someone to be telling them these things, that that person should be trying to help them get over something, but not need to motivate you or not to tell you simple things that you should have known playing hockey all the way back to peewee. But it's going to build. And now all of a sudden it feels like a huge weekend. You've got the LA Kings on Saturday night and then it's a back-to-back with the Ducks. So you're probably going to see Shalgren again. A goalie who made some stops last night, I thought actually did his job for a backup goaltender against the San Jose Sharks, but isn't likely to steal you a game isn't likely to perform or win if you get outshot by an inferior opponent. So it has just a little bit of Blue Jays West Coast vibe to it where Charlie Montoya went out West and you thought, okay, you, uh, you got to come out of here with a couple of wins, bro. Your team can't continue to perform this way, man. And they didn't perform. Leafs come back. They collect two wins on a back-to-back. Things are going to quiet down a little bit. But they're just they're not going to stay quiet with this group when they continue to have efforts like that. Anyway, that's the end of the rant. Go listen to the Leafs talk. We broke down the rest of the game yesterday, Sammy and I. It's up in your podcast channels. Subscribe, review, do all those things. Um, everything's all hammered out. We'll be doing them Saturdays, born. It'll just be on the podcast feed and on Sportsnet now. And then Sunday, uh, we're back on YouTube, Sammy and I. Wednesday, back on YouTube, born and I. So, yeah. Borny finally getting back in the mix. He's been uh, he's been working on something, all right? He's working on something else. I think he's already revealed that's something else that he's working on, but who cares? I'm not spoiling it. It's also World Series Day, so that brings me some joy. Like, we got a World Series, we got a, a red-hot World Series. I, this is a sexy World Series. I, I, It's a team that's been there for a bunch of seasons in the Astros versus the, the hot NL team, which has basically been the the script for them the last couple of years. And I'm going to get into it with Dexter Fowler. I taped him yesterday. We had a great chat. Um, Also touched on a little bit of how close he was to coming to Toronto, free agents and the way they view Toronto. It's a really great interview. Um, So Austin, it's World Series Day. I'm not going to get into my World Series thoughts because I kind of do them with Dexter. So just roll it, buddy. 14 years in the bigs, former MLB All-Star, Dexter Fowler. Thanks for doing this, man. It's great to have you on. No, good to be on. Absolutely. Hey. So I, you know, I'm scrolling through Twitter the other night and I see you doing stuff with Bleacher Report. Uh, you're doing the Yankees Astros game. I love it because you're dragging Yankees fans, which just, you know, like we all like to do it. Players, fans, everybody loves it so much. It's kind of sucks that they ended up losing to the Astros just of all teams. You know, it would have been a nicer, easy to pick a side battle. But yeah, dude, it was good. Like it, this stuff interests you a little bit more, especially now that you can do it from home. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know what the funny thing is? is I, you know what? I, I, I wasn't dragging them. I was just calling it how I see it. And that's how I always am. So, I mean, if they don't like it, then fan better, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you know what's so funny, though? I go back and forth on their fandom because uh, there's so much now with – and I think this is more of a internet thing. And it's the side that you see, right? Which is it just feels so extreme either way. But there's so much like – 
lack of accountability at times, especially in like this market where people are just like, hey, everybody's great and don't worry about anything. That when I see Yankees fans boo their team, even though, or like boo Aaron Judge, it's like, Sky, hit your home run record and you boo him in the playoffs. There's a part of me as a sports fan that goes, listen, that looks bad. I get it. But I also kind of respect it that that's your standard of play. Right. Absolutely. And like I said before, like, it's crazy because like Jeter and all them, they spoiled Yankees fans, right? I mean, yeah. they they they're winning championships year on year out, and it's like that's what they expect. And at at the end of the day, baseball's not easy. And I mean, to do what Aaron Judge did, and you're booing him, come on, man! Like, like it's like <laughs> it's the playoffs. Like everybody's good, and you you're facing a really good team. I I, I get it. You want more, but I mean, sometimes the cards just don't fall your way. Hey, you know what, though, man? I like you saying that you called it like you see it because I genuinely think that stuff like that is actually what baseball fe- fans need more of. That, And, and this isn't here, like, I, and I mean that about Toronto. Like, We have a lot of smart people that work on our broadcasts and explain the game extremely well and can, and can turn something, like you said, that is hard into sounding like something simple. And, and I do think that just like coverage of the sport – um, needs to be better. And so I like seeing stuff like that. And I especially like it when it's like a digestible format and you're getting a player who is just kind of saying how they feel uh, about something in the moment and isn't afraid to say it. Yeah, and, and no disrespect to anybody over there. It's like, come on, like, I've played the game. Like, we know how hard the game is. We know how hard the playoffs are. Like, I've not hit in the playoffs. Like, but you don't see it. Like, so we realize a, a lot of people have never gone through that, so they don't know. Right, a fan is just going in there like, oh, he's he's better than this. I don't know why he's not playing. Like, come on, like you don't see. Actually, you don't even see the Astros doing like Altuve hadn't got a hit in like three weeks, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you don't see Astros fans doing him. That's because everybody They're else booed cheer. him so much. You know, like yeah, he got his he got but, his fair uh, share of booze. What I'm just saying, like, come on, man, baseball's not easy. Yeah. Hey, do you think that uh, – so Aaron Judge, the other day, they asked him about whether its priority is still to remain a Yankee. And he was like – he said something along the lines of, yeah, I felt that way ever since I wore the pinstripes. And then he goes, but they had a chance to do it in the offseason. They didn't. So and I think he said, we'll see. I, I did wonder if there's at least even – you think there's even a small part of him that went, man, I hit that many home runs and I got booed in the playoffs – and they didn't have enough faith in me to give me everything I wanted before the season. You know what? Like, all things being equal, maybe it isn't here. Well, if you say it like that. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, 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 think, I think he's, you know, he's in the driver's seat. He did what he had to do. And it's now it's not up to, it's, it's up to him, right? It's yeah. not up to the Yankees. Like, if the Yankees want to do it, they, you'll see how, how, how much they want to do it. Or if they don't. Right. If somebody jumps ahead, then and they want him more, then he can go wherever he wants to go. But I mean, he, I think he belongs. He he needs to be a Yankee. But no, that's just me. They 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 bred him. They. He, I think he should be the. I, I agree with Riz. He should be the uh, the next captain if yeah, he is a Yankee. I think he should stay a Yankee too. And I think like even when you saw the home run chase uh, and even the fact that we call it a home run chase where it's like the American League record, it's like we wouldn't have cared about an American League record with a different team. Like we're up here in Toronto and he did it here, so maybe it was a little bit extra. But yeah, if you're not doing that for the New York Yankees, then it doesn't get nearly the pub that it does. I just wonder if, like I said, 
clearly money is going to be first, right? Money, term, role, all that stuff. Respect within your organization or your chance to win. Those are all the things I would guess go first when it comes to free agency. But I right. do wonder if you think that the fans booing him come playoff time after the season that he had in an ALCS would, would bug him. Like how much it would bug him. I mean, it probably sits it probably sits in the back of his mind, but I mean, they're gonna boom more if he leaves. <laughs> <laughs> he might go to so, San Francisco um, though. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna boom more if he leaves, but at the end of the day, man, like I think he real he's been there long enough, he realizes that's how Yankees fans are. And he's accepted it because he's wanting to stay there. So, I mean, it's probably not the first time he's gotten booed. At, and but I think it's a it's a it's a whole like it was a whole lot of things that went into those those boos. Like it was just them losing. It's been a while. You know they were supposed to be better than what they are. I don't think it it was solely on Judge. Yeah. No. And it's also the Astros, right? And their fans are probably just so tired of having this exact same thing happen, which is kind of a good team. Good maybe chance, this is right. our year. Yeah, and then yeah. it's the Astros again. And so, yeah, maybe this is how we pivot to the World Series. And, uh, like, the Astros are back. They do it again. And a lot of guys around the majors were so mad when they got busted for the cheating scandal. Like, even though there was some other shady stuff that was going on with some teams like the Red Sox in particular, like the Astros got the brunt of it, like the trash cans thing. It was massive. And it, it totally took away from that first world series win. But now it's like they're back again. And now this is four times. And, I wonder if guys around baseball that you talk to or you specifically, if, if you think like most guys in baseball have respect for it now, that like a lot of the cheating is behind them and people kind of have to give them their flowers. Oh, absolutely. That's a great team over there. That's a great team. And you know what? There was a, there was a lot of turnover. A lot of those guys are gone. And um, you can't take away anything from the Astros. They're a good team. They're well put together. Um, you know, what's done is done. Um, I think that even going to the World Series and being in that, um, even like winning a World Series, then going to the World Series, that's experience, right? So these guys are bred to do this now. Like this is the norm to them. Um, you know, take the cheating aside, like they, they build a lot of confidence. And I, I just think that this is their year again. I mean, these guys are, these guys are, uh, it from top to bottom, the pitching staff, the bullpen, it, they're just, uh, it's a solid team. Dude, they're stacked. Like, they're unbelievably stacked. And I know there's been turnover, but there is something, too, about watching a team where they've just got guys that we've seen in the playoffs year over year over year now. Like, when Altuve comes in a big in a big spot, like Bregman did the other night, right, where he drives in some runs, and you go, of course Alex Bregman did that. Like, of course Alex Bregman had a big A-B because we've seen him have a ton of big A-Bs. Um, they look like just heavy favorites in the series, but even if they win this one, right, like you said it, they're a great team. But do you think that you can ever go down as, like, an all-time great team without – or with having that on the resume, like with having the bang in the trash cans thing on the resume? Um, I mean, I, I think it'll be more in the back of people's minds if they, if they win. I think, it, I think a lot of people are like, Oh, they won. It's not now that they won one that they cheated. They won two and one yeah. that they didn't cheat. So, I mean, it, I guess it validates, um, their success and it validates them as a team. And like I said, there's, a, there's been a lot of turnover. Like a lot of those guys aren't even there anymore. 
or a lot of guys that were on that team aren't even there anymore. And the, you know, the guys that are still there, they're still over there winning. So you can't take anything away from that. Yeah, George Springer left because he didn't want to be a part of the cheating anymore. He was like, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to go to an organization that would never cheat, the Toronto Blue Jays. Like, <laughs> they would never even fathom it. It's a world-class organization. No, I, I am weirdly like – and again, it's, it's a familiarity thing, and I've always been a fan of dynasties. Like, I just think that when the Patriots exist and people love them or hate them, having an opinion on a team is a good thing. And that's the thing I love about the Astros, right, is that – People have opinions on them. People know who a lot of those players are. They're familiar with the uniforms. They're familiar with the storylines. And so I think that this World Series like, is interesting because here you have it again, right, where they're probably the far more talented team. They're the more experienced team. They're the team that most everybody's going to pick to win. And they're running into just another group that has some obviously good players. I think the Phillies are probably even more like just based on their health, talented than a couple of teams these guys lost to. But what do you think is more important here, like the Astros' overwhelming skill and ability or just running into a team of destiny that just like the Phillies feels like right now that just looks so hot and everything's kind of clicking at the right time? Um, you know, in the playoffs, it's, it's a matter about the hot team. But if you look at it, I mean, Houston's hot too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they yeah, haven't lost, are pretty good. right? Yeah. Right. They haven't lost. <laughs> like, it, yeah. that's what people aren't understanding. You're, you're running into a, a, a very hot team, but the other team's very hot too, and they're really good. So, um, you know, it's baseball. I mean, you never know. But in a seven-game series, you're going to figure out which team is the better team. And that's the bottom line. And that's what I love about baseball is if there's if there's a seven-game series, you're going to figure out everything that you need to know. You're going to – those weaknesses are going to be exposed and those strengths are going are, are gonna to shine. So we'll see. Yeah, I just – it it really does feel like the Astros have too much for them, and then but you start to look at Philly and like it's just a, it's a good baseball team, right? And I, I wonder if you think that so much of the series is really just going to come down to these first couple of games because yeah, the difference in the Philly two starters at the very top um, with Wheeler and Nola, it's it's quite a bit of a drop off after those two guys, and it's harder for me to imagine um, them coming back in a series than it is for the Astros to come back in a series. Absolutely, absolutely. Because um, they've been they've been there, like you said, they've been there. And but you know the Astros. If if you look at it, man, and the Astros have been down too. Mm-hmm. The Astros have been down, and they keep fighting back. They keep clawing back. I'm really impressed with them, honestly. I mean, you can probably tell, but it, it you know the the Phillies are going to have to play perfect baseball for me. To, to win. They've been doing uh, a good chunk of that, at least offensively. Like, there's been some blips with the pitching. Like, Nola got lit up in the in the Padres series once. But, yeah, I don't think anybody expected them to be here. And I, I do, you know, wonder how that is going to carry into that series. But, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I just – I think that this Astros team is incredibly good. Like, it was actually the one – Oh, it's like saving grace for Blue Jays fans when they lost that series to the Mariners. Everybody thought here anyways that Toronto was better and they figured that, yeah, it would be a good series, it would be a competitive series, but that the Blue Jays would come out of it on top. And then, you know, everyone watched the Astros just roll through the Mariners and then roll through the Yankees. And it was kind of like, yeah, you know what, maybe it wasn't so bad. <laughs> maybe it was all right that uh, that the season ended this way. At least it was something where you could feel like it, it wasn't really your fault. Do guys around baseball like Bryce Harper? Like, are you rooting for Bryce Harper? You know what? I, 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 Bryce, 
I, I know Bryce. Bryce has always been a, a, a good dude to me. I, I have nothing to, uh, nothing against Bryce. Bryce plays hard. Bryce is going to give you everything he has, and I love to see that. Um, he does kind of get a bad rap. Just because, I mean, but anybody does. If you're really good, you're going to get really, a, you're not going to get a, I mean, you're going to get a bad rap. I mean, especially the way he came up. First pick overall with all the hype from high school, middle school, whatever. Like, basically when he came out the womb, he was the chosen one. I mean, and then he came in and, you know, he does, He when he was when he was younger, he did some stuff that obviously rubbed people the wrong way. But, I mean, the dude loves to play the game, and you can't take that away from him. I mean, the, 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 he's he's always been great to me. Uh, to every every encounter I've had with him, so I have, I have no ill feelings for him. But, I mean, like you said, some guys are jealous, and some guys, you know, he, he does get a bad rap sometimes. Yeah, listen, I, I think that probably a lot of it is that. Um, he definitely, from a spectator standpoint, can come off as pretty douchey sometimes. <laughs> There's just no doubt about it. Uh, even going back to the beginning, like the clown question bro stuff, and yeah, certain ways that he's carried himself. But there is a moment right now where I feel like it is turning. He's matured a lot, though. He's matured yeah. a lot. And yeah. that's what it's about. That's what it's about, learning and, 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 and moving on and maturing. And he's done that. He's done that. And I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him to get a chance to um, – you know, he signed that big free agent deal, and then um, you know they're in the they're in the World Series, which I mean, you and he sent them there. So I mean, you can't really, uh, like I said, there's no real ill feelings on my side, or I don't think any fan side. The dude's proved what he needed to do, and I think this is the last box he needs to check is winning a World Series. Yeah, see, this is kind of where I'm going with it. It's like clearly the Astros, from a team standpoint, have a bigger. Uh, stake in the legacy pool, right? Like when we talk about the Astros, you said it. If they get two World Series, they win again. It really does feel like it's hard to continue to bring up the cheating allegations. Like they beat the allegations with a win here. That's always sort of been the case for the Astros, right? And them continuing to be here, even if they lose again, it's kind of hard. You get to the point where you go, yeah, all right. Um, They lost them, but they still kept making it and they were still so dominant. But from an individual standpoint, it does feel like this is a massive Bryce Harper moment. Like he hits that huge huge shot in the final game of the series against the Padres. Everybody's just high on Bryce Harper and we love stars in sports, man. And sometimes this has been my one thing about baseball is like, Hey, at least you have, again, opinions on Bryce Harper. At least he's been polarizing throughout his career. And, but he's someone people know he's someone people gravitate towards. And he's just like a big game, big money player who has an opportunity here, like to become like, I, like one of the faces of baseball if he wasn't already or kind of have that resurgence as one of the faces of baseball. Like, do you feel as though there's any singular player that has more to gain or I guess lose from a legacy standpoint than Bryce Harper heading into this World Series? Uh, not this World Series, no. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, obviously, you look at what he's done and what he's done to get there, but at the end of the day, man, this is the series, right? And he's never been here and the fact that if he comes in and performs, like, you know, they're going to – basically, I, for me, they're going to need him to be at his best yeah. for them to win, to, for them to have a chance to win. Like, this dude, he, he brought him there. If, if he's anything but Bryce Harper, the best Bryce Harper, then I don't think they have a chance to win. Yeah. And uh, that, that is a lot of pressure to put on him, but I think he's ready for it. I think he's ready for it. And, I, I, I mean – we all want to see him, obviously, uh, go out and play well. Um, but we'll see. 
I'm excited for it. Uh, I, to me, he's the story of the postseason. It's like, again, it's it's his superstardom versus the Astros continuing to try to bury the ghost. So uh, let's talk about you for a but second. No one, but, but no one guy is going to win the World Series. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, we, we, saw, we saw the best – the best World Series, the best performance in a World Series, and the dude lost, and that was Barry Bonds. Oh, yeah. And he lost. Like he, I, and I, you know, I, he's my mentor, so I talked to him about it. He's like, bro, I, I, you can't win by yourself. <laughs> you can't. Like it doesn't matter how how well one guy does. He's not gonna. He, you're not gonna win. You're not gonna win the game. Yeah, this is again. Unless you're Otani, you could do all. You could do all your stuff. <laughs> Maybe if Otani gets there, he can pitch and hit. And win the Man. game itself, but that's probably the only guy that can do that. <sighs> do you want to see Otani somewhere else? Like, I don't, like again, this is just a speak your mind thing. You finished your, you know, your professional, like, your last stop uh, where you played was in Los Angeles. And it's so weird to watch this Angels team because they've got arguably the two best players in the sport, and they just can't figure out just about anything else around those two dudes. And now Shohei's heading into that final year of his contract. And there's some buzz, at least, about him not being too happy about it. Like, why why can't that organization just make it work other than those two guys? Because it's just such a huge leg up on the rest of the league to have those two guys in place and then seemingly miss on, like, every free agent, every pitcher, every bullpen piece. And, and I know I'm speaking, like, with a little bit of hyperbole here, but, man, like, uh, like are we just never going to see Mike Trout in the playoffs? Well, to answer your question, I'd love to see these guys on the big stage on the in the playoffs. Like, they deserve it. I feel, I feel like both of them, like we've seen Traddy, um, we've seen Traddy in all-star games and him show out. And that's the best of the best. Like, I want to see him, like, I think he deserves to be in a playoff, in the playoffs, of buying for, playing for a World Series. And Shohei as well. Like, I would want to see him. I think everybody, I think the world wants to see both of them uh, excel and, and play at the, you know, the, the biggest game of the, uh, of, of the season, right? And that's a World Series game. Like, we all want to see that. But um, I don't foresee the Angels getting there anytime soon. And they have a lot of work to do, obviously. Um, So, obviously, the sooner the better because they're not getting any younger. Yeah, I I hate it because I feel like, you know, Shohei is going to probably end up in the American League East. And I've been clamoring for him to get traded. And I'm like, oh, I hope somebody frees him from there and that he goes to a competitive team. What do you team, think, Tampa? So... Oh, I'm just – Yeah, like it's just – yeah, they would use him as – you know what's crazy? Tampa would trade for him and then they'd have him for like half the season and they'd flip him for like 25 different prospects as they were in a playoff race and somehow – it, 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 yeah. so, yeah, it works. It works. Yeah, it works. It would work. And then five years from now, we'd be watching the playoffs of Tampa in it, and they go like, "These are five guys that they got from the Shohei trade, who are all <laughs> rotation pieces for them, all everyday players for them." And here's Tampa Bay going to another World Series. Um, yeah, I just I don't know what you you do if you're them, because man, I just like I don't know how you tell a fan base or help tell Mike Trout like you can't trade Mike Trout. He's an angel. Um, but how do you move off of a guy like Shohei that? you know, helps you get closer to winning. Like you can't, it just, it feels like the worst situation for that organization. So um, when you had to make your choices, right. About where you were going to go and where you're going to win, you're coming off your all-star season in 2016, you hit free agency and up here, it was all like Jays are hot to trot for Dexter Fowler. And it was, they're going to do everything. They're going to move heaven and earth to get Dexter Fowler. How, 
how seriously did they pursue you? And, and how close did you come, if at all, to signing with this team? Uh, I don't think they moved heaven and earth, but they moved. <laughs> I like <laughs> they that had a budget. Yeah. I, 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 they, they had a budget, and uh, they said they maxed out their budget, which I'm, I, I'm okay with. And it just wasn't um, – it's not like I didn't want to play there because obviously I signed there uh, to play there before. It was just they um, – it was an intriguing team. They just didn't – they were just way lower than everybody else. Yeah. Not they were way lower? Else, but they were, they were, they were lower. Yeah, not, yeah, they were lower. It's weird. I, it, it's weird you telling me this right now just because so many times the fear is – that Toronto offers more but still can't get guys, right? We always refer to it as the Toronto tax up here where, hey, if you're going to get guys from the States to come up north of the border, that you're going to have to give an extra year or you're going to have to give a little bit of extra money. That wasn't the case with you. It was just like, hey, like, just be the most they were competitive like, we team. Love you. We love you. Like, you're our, they were like, we love you. We want you to be a part of the team. You're our first priority. But at the end of the day, like, they were like, this is all we have to give you. And I was like, okay, I get that, and I appreciate that. But, you know, these other guys are offering me a little bit more, and they also have a chance to win. That's, again, Not this a little is now, bit more, but more. Yeah, okay. So, But it was more. Yeah, that's what I mean. Because that's actually so, part of the other frustrating thing. It's like if they aren't, right? This is where a you-can't-win situation as a fan because you go, hey, if they offered more – and, you know, the guy won't take it, then you worry about the market, you worry about the team, you worry about how guys view the city. But, man, Toronto is like and, – and, again, part of this is probably that we're up here and there's a ton of media coverage for the Blue Jays. Like, nationally, it's, it's pretty massive. Um, I will tell you that, this. Guys want to play for the Blue Jays. They, they do. do. Yeah, they do. Now? Like now or like five years ago? They want to play for them now. Like, I, like uh, five years ago, I believe, they, they wanted to play for them. Like – they had a good team. Like, guys want to – and they, they see the potential. Like, these young guys coming up, like the Bichettes, the Vladdies, the – you know, everybody. They, they they have a really good team. They have a really good group of guys. And a lot of guys want to go over there and play. And they're not going away anytime soon. Yeah, the team is still young. It's very good. They're at this spot right now, though, where um, people want to see more now, right? Like, they want to see the playoff success. They miss by a game the year before they get in the playoffs they don't win a home playoff game that's a tough one for the pill to swallow now it feels like you know there's there's real pressure now that that anybody coming here that anybody joining here um yeah jays fans they need, they need some veterans they need some a, a little bit more experience i mean these yeah. guys are coming in what they're coming in their own like you got Kevin and all that. they're coming in their own they just they they need that they just need a little bit more experience just to get them over the hump and how they accelerate that, I don't know. But, I mean, they'll be good here here in next year or the year after next because they're, they're hungry. Being in spring training, being around those guys, those guys can play. They're, they're, they're ready to go. They, like I said, they just, on that big stage, they just need that little bit more of an edge. Well, man, that's why it really sucked when Marcus Simeon left. And, again, it's a tip-the-cap situation. He gets so much money. And you just say, man, of course, like, you got to take that. But it just really felt like that guy had a real presence within the organization and the way that guy's talked about him. And, and I know that Springer has that too, but it, it has always well, felt Springer like, hey. Springer can't do it himself, yeah. He right, so do, you're saying it's, it it's more guys. Yeah, I think you need, he, they, need more, they need a little bit more guys. Yeah. Did it feel like, 
Like, what does that not mean? Not to play. Maybe just to maybe just to be around and, and kind of like. I'm not going to say to you know talk them through some things. You know, like mm-hmm. Springer. Springer needs to play. Springer needs to be Springer. Springer's a great, and he's great in the clubhouse. The guys respect him. These guys are all great guys in the clubhouse. And but like you know, it, it just comes with experience, and that's something you can't just you know plug and play. You gotta you gotta have a guy that's been in there like Springer has, and I think they need another guy. Simeon's been around. Simeon's been there. He's he, when when he was there, he you know he he went to the playoffs with um with Oakland. Like you know those you you can't teach that. That's something you can't teach. But you need you need guys there that can kind of walk them through and kind of help them through the shortcomings and the adversity. Well, do you think that those guys like a younger team like this? How much do you think they get from even just a two game series? against the Mariners this year? Like, how much of that experience just happens naturally from a group getting older and a group getting there, even if it's just once and, and for a short time? Um, Nobody likes losing. I think that right there fuels them even more, right? And just getting in there and getting your feet wet and being able to be a part of that. And they missed it by, what, one game the year before that? Yep. Like, and then finally getting in there. And all this is learning. Like, it's a tough way to learn, but they'll never forget that feeling. And I don't think they want it to happen to him again. You know, and you take that. I think next year they'll take that next step. Man, uh, that's what everybody's in the city's hoping. The last one for you. You said it. Like Springer's so important to this team, and maybe they need some more veterans around him. But he got hurt again in that final game of the season. It's an ugly play. It's a tough collision. But he's someone who has dealt with uh, quite a few injuries over the last couple of years. It's been really, really tough to stay healthy. Do you think that he can or that he should keep playing in center field? Uh, I, I think he can, especially with a DH. I think he can. I think he uh, – Springer's learning to – I remember when Spring first came up and Spring was – he was living with me, actually. I, I let him – I had him live with me and, you know, for the until he could find a place. When he first got caught up, we were at Astros together. And I used to tell him, I'd be like, bro, you got to calm down, bro. You're playing way too – not way too hard, just, just like all over the place. And he's learned how to, like, calm down a bit, right, kind of like dial it back a bit. And I think that's helped him out a lot, and he gets that now. And so I don't think he needs to move out of center. I just think that um, it's just a learning process of him dialing it back. Like, like freak plays like that, I mean, those are unavoidable. Like, mm-hmm. what do you do? Um, it's a matter of circumstance, right? A guy runs into you, you're both born for the ball. Like, that's that. But other than that, like, it's, a, like, it wasn't, it's not the soft tissue stuff that's what happened before. Like, the, you know, like the quad or hamstring, you know, it's not that type of stuff anymore. So to answer your question, I don't think he needs to move off of center field. Maybe when he gets a little older, we all do. Mm-hmm. We all age and, and, and let the young let the young guys do it. But I mean, I'd probably give it a year or so. Maybe give him some days off, and he's willing to take those now. He's he has a lot of a lot of miles now. I think he's willing to take those uh, those days off. Yeah, it's just like they need his bat in the lineup, right? And even if you just look at the way the Blue Jays are built. They, they don't have that guy with experience, but they just don't have that guy that works plate appearances like Springer can. And it's yeah. funny to say, it's funny to hear you say like he needed to dial it back because I've always said that George Springer reminds me of Derrick Rose, where you just, 
you can't get Derrick Rose to dial back who he was, like, younger in his career, right? And then that takes right. its toll. Like, there's only so many times that you can go to the rim and then get knocked down by a seven-footer and, and get hit awkwardly. And right. that's just kind of how I feel about Springer is, like, the way he plays is completely balls to the wall. He sacrifices the body every single time. And every single time he gets up from the field, you just look at him and go, man, how many more times can you do that? Right. Well, uh, like like you said, it, it, the dude go. He plays hard all the time, and I, I've never, you know, you can't knock a guy that does that. But at the nope. end of the day, like, it's the you know, it's the wear and tear. Like you got, if you want to play for a long time, you got to kind of dial it back. Maybe not. I remember I broke my hand one time, and um, I ran into the wall. And this was in the minor leagues, and. You know, I was talking to Matt Holiday. He was like, "Man, how'd you do it?" I was like, "Man, I ran into the wall trying to make a catch." And he was like, "What? You know, did you make the catch?" And I was like, "Nah, like I jumped before that." What? Long story short, he was like, "Man, I'm sure that pitcher would want you out there for the six weeks that you're out with a broken hand instead of just playing that ball off the wall." You know, like little stuff yep. like that. It's not the. It's not Game Seven of the World Series. It's not like you're going to the plate. You know what I'm saying? It's like these are games. That, you, sometimes you have to sacrifice maybe taking the ball off the wall instead of running into the wall. Maybe letting that ball bounce and playing it on a hop, keeping the guy at first, instead of going out and getting hurt and being out for three months. Right? Because that's going to cost your team more than that one hit. And the pitchers, you know, they need you out there and they want you out there. It's, it's just like the players on your team. Well, the Jays definitely want Spring out there because their record with him in the lineup versus without him is uh, shocking. <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's two different teams completely. Like they are uh, a high volume wins team when he's in there, and when he's not, uh, yeah, it drops off precipitously. Was he a good roommate or what? Yeah, he was good. He could, I had him taking care of my my older kids so we could have some date nights. But he was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he, was good. he was great. Yeah, that's good to hear, man. Hey, Dexter Fowler, uh, I hope like that we see more of you in media, dude, because, yeah, it was really fun watching you on that stream, and it was really fun getting to chat with you today. Thanks so much for doing it, dude. No, I appreciate it, man. I enjoy it. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. See you, man. Thanks, bro. Dexter Fowler. Uh, that was fun. 14 years in the bigs. Dexter Fowler. Uh, great guy. Glad to see him doing some more media stuff. Thought that the – perspective on Toronto was pretty interesting. Like, if you're a Blue Jays fan, you're obviously, listen, no offense, Dexter Fowler gave us his time, good guy, had a good career, but got 82 million bucks from the St. Louis Cardinals, and if you were a Blue Jays fan, you didn't want Dexter Fowler to get 82 million bucks. So in, in one way, in one sense, the Blue Jays were astute, making sure that they didn't overpay for that guy. And it didn't seem like he was afraid of the organization or that he didn't want uh, anything to do with Toronto. There was no Toronto tax. You always hate that you hear a team get outbid, but I don't know if that was a situation where they got outbid because they wouldn't go over. I just, I, I really do have a tough time always understanding what the sell is uh, when there isn't more money. If that was 2016, it wasn't like they were about to go win another World Series. They weren't selling a championship contender, right? They weren't saying, hey, 2017 Blue Jays are going to go to the World Series. We're right there. So that part of it, I guess, is a little incomplete. But again, a, an example of a guy who didn't bring up a Toronto tax, just said it was less money. Didn't say that he needed more money. And then ended up being in Toronto a 
couple of years later. And granted, it was at a completely different point in his career, but the guy at least still had some interest in the Toronto Blue Jays organization. He certainly must have liked the pitch from Shapiro and Atkins, or at least the way that they spoke with him about what he could be and at least built some kind of a relationship that they could come back to. So even if it was a little bit of a low ball, wasn't one where he felt any kind of disrespect from it. I'm, I'm really excited for this World Series. I said it going into the, to the tape, to the interview, that it, to me is, it's, a, it's a great blend of two World Series teams. We've got the Phillies, who got hot at the right time, which you always love to see. You've got the Astros, who it's easy to root against them. And there's familiarity there. Like Dexter said, it's a different team and a lot of the guys have left. Yeah, true. But they've still got the main guys. They've still got most of the main guys that people love to hate. Altuve, people love to hate Altuve now. People love to hate Bregman. I don't think that they like to hate any of the the pitching staff, including Verlander. But either way, it's just like those two guys being in the middle of the lineup, the top of the lineup, We're familiar with them. We know their work. And it's easier to watch something when you're familiar with the product. When you know the storylines. And with the Phillies, it's easy to get behind, even if you haven't been paying attention to the World Series, because you can go, oh, Bryce Harper. It's a little tough if Kyle Schwarber wins World Series MVP, by the way. This is something that I don't think anybody's really touched on, but the Blue Jays really wanted Kyle Schwarber. And this was actually another example of the Dexter Fowler situation where... They were not willing to go as high to pay Schwarber as the Phillies were. I haven't heard anybody talk about it. I'm listening to some shows, but it's it's very true. Schwarber was Blue Jays. They were hot and heavy for Kyle Schwarber. And now he's a guy who legitimately could win World Series MVP this year. And it's not exactly a Steve Pierce situation where you go, well, yeah, well, whatever. That's, that's just a tough one because he would have been great for the Blue Jays. That was the bat. That was the kind of bat that they desperately needed this season. And he walked, and he goes somewhere else, and that's because they get outbid. Anyway, there's star power on the Philly side. They're red hot. They have the guy who right now is having a moment bigger than just about anybody in baseball could have, unless Aaron Judge would have carried the Yankees. Like, that's the only one that I think could have surpassed what Bryce Harper is doing. He just had the moment of his career. And there is going to be a, a lot of intrigue for baseball fans, for sports fans to see that if what Dexter Fowler said is true, that if he can be Bryce Harper, if he can be that guy, can they win a World Series on his back? We all love that story, man. We love that story. It doesn't matter even if you're not a huge baseball fan. Anyway, so it's the familiar foes, the familiar villains. I'll say it, the villains, even though I rooted for them in the last World Series. Versus the upstart group with a superstar at the helm. And it starts tonight. Can't not wait. Oh, baseball's just so good, too, for secondary viewing. If you're watching something else, like Raps played tonight, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it's Philly's rap, or uh, Sixers Raps tonight. So you can watch that. You can have the sound on. You can have both going at the same time. You can run the baseball. And it doesn't feel like you miss as much when you're watching a baseball game secondary screen. Perfect, perfect bar sport. Just the absolute best bar sport. Anyways, let's take a quick break. Let's come back. Uh, the Ravens, the bed hits. Gus Edwards, bed hits. Uh, old Petey's two touchdowns for Mike Evans does not. Uh, was close to the first one, though. That was... Uh, I got blamed by somebody on social for the that pick. I was like, get out of here. First of all, it's Petey's long shot. 
It was a fine bet by P. He, the, the process was right, all right? It's not always about the results. Anyways, uh, quick time for action next. And what the hell do the Bucks do now? Sportsnet 590, the fan. Oh, yeah. It's that weekend. I'm old as hell, though. I'm old as dirt. No Halloween party? Didn't get invited to one? Yikes. Old. Washed. Done. I love Halloween. I don't like having to think about costumes. It's stressful. It's pressure. I'm one of those people that just can't roll right into uh, some kind of a crap costume. Like my boy, not this Sam, not Sam McKee, my other buddy Sam. He's just always mask guy, (laughs) you know, just shows up to a party in some crap mask for five seconds when he gets in the door and then takes it off and just holds the mask all night. I just can't pull off that move. I need a little bit more. Uh, I couldn't pull it together this year, and nor was I invited, so who cares? It was irrelevant. Either way, you know I'm getting that discount candy after. Like, that's what's going down. That is what's going down. I will beat all y'all to that shoppers. I will hit it up. Anyways, it's time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19+. plus. Must be living in Ontario. And you got to play responsibly. It doesn't say must, but I think you should. I uh, think it's a must. Anyway, um, last night, our Ravens hit. Boffo on the island, just stranded. He's stranded out there on Buccaneers Island. Oh, Pirate of the Caribbean, Boffo. He's just stuck. Uh, the rest of the lads cash. Um, my Gus Edwards bet goes over. Although he gets hurt, which stinks. Uh, I don't know if Jobo's guy played Otten. Uh, Kate Otten. He apparently caught a couple passes. I didn't notice them. I was probably watching Leafs at that point. Uh, Rashad White for Boffo does hit, so his prop. So the two fellas on the prop parlay that hit are the old lads, the two young bucks. Uh, they go down in flames in horrifically embarrassing fashion. Again, once again, Pete Walker going with a huge bet. Tries to get himself out of trouble with the big bet, but we all know. Like, it's a coward. That was a cowardly move. Um, either way, Ravens win, Ravens win, Ravens win. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was a really fun game. For the Ravens. I, I hope that Gus Edwards is comes back healthy because one of the stories of that game was actually um, Edwards getting hurt, Bateman getting hurt, and their stud tight end, Mark Andrews, all having to leave the game on a short week where all of them were already dealing with injuries. I thought that was a tough look for the Ravens. I, I thought that was – if you were a trainer for them, you were someone that cleared them to play – that's that's a tough look. So hopefully the Ravens are healthy because that was a little bit of a, okay, this, that was the Ravens team that we expected them to be. Oh, Jobo's messaging me. Yeah. Not even close, Jobo. Idiotic bet. Picked some loser that no one's ever heard of before. Anyways, uh, this weekend, my favorite bets. Uh, there's a few. I actually, I, I said early in the week, I really like this weekend. I'm big on this weekend. I think my Seattle Seahawks, the resurgent Seahawks, minus 150 on the money line just to beat the Giants. I know that's Steve Smith's guy. I know I'm going against Mr. Dayball. I know I'm going against the G-Men who have all the momentum in the world. Seahawks got some vibes going too. I'm a little worried about the DK Metcalf situation, but Geno just makes it work with anybody. He's playing in the system. Kenneth Walker Jr., breakout star. Here's what else I like, though. I like the Titans minus two and a half at the Houston Texans. I know that division, you're supposed to stay away from it. But that Austin's team, Austin Mackey's boys, I think they get it done. I think they roll the Houston Texans. I'm just not impressed, really, with Davis Mills. I think the Texans want to sell. I don't see it. 
even though they're at home. And even though it's a division that I normally like to just completely leave alone and say, yeah, you guys do your own thing. The scariest, the spooky Halloween line of the week is the Arizona Cardinals, Minnesota Vikings. The two, you don't know what you're, you're getting teams, not touching that one at all, not even coming close to it. But the number one line, you know I got to play, is the home, the, the English Jacksonville Jaguars getting it done against the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos vibes are in the toilet. Russell Wilson's doing the knee-ups on the plane. Jags stink. Don't trust the Jaguars at all. They got to get that done. They absolutely have to get that done. I also like the Raiders at the Saints. Sorry, Jobo, but... I'm not backing Andy Dalton again. I actually think that's going to be a shootout. That's probably going to be, end up being a bit of a competitive game. 49.5 is the total in that one. But, yeah, I just I think the Raiders found a little bit of their groove in the second half of that game against the Texans, and I just I don't trust what I see from the Saints and Andy Dalton. Anyways, that was Time for Action, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19+. plus. Must be in Ontario. Please play responsibly when we come back. What's the Dancing with the Stars version of the skating show? I couldn't get it. Skating with the Stars? <laughs> skating skating with Stu. Next. I'm watching the panel last night. The fellows were doing great. Poor David Amber. You get Anthony Stewart's on the line. NHL vet. Sports and analyst. Man who stayed up late last night. You guys take care of DA? Like, is he all right? Yeah, DA had a bit of a cough last night, but... Uh... Our boy Borny uh, lost his voice too, so there's a lot of uh, voice losing, uh, a lot of screaming <laughs> going on, and it's understandable around Sportsnet these days. <laughs> oh, the fellas are hoarse. The fellas are having a tough time. Everybody's just not in game shape yet. Everybody just came, showed up to the season, trying to work themselves into game shape on the job. That's funny. That's hilarious. But uh, again, everyone has good reason. But uh, again, it it is what it is, as the meme says, right? <laughs> Buddy. It is what it is with the Leafs. What are we doing here? Like this is the this is the exact same stuff. I listen. I always thought you a text because you kind of pissed me off a little bit. You do it some good stuff, but then you go, "I'm gonna go with a positive here." I'm like, "Stewie, don't you dare!" When you're like, "Oh, they're tied on the road." It's like they're playing the Sharks. How many of those Sharks players did you know yesterday? Like, how much prep did you have to know or have to learn to do the Sharks game? Well, I knew Barabanov was there. That's another player that yeah, exactly. was with the Great Leafs, play. right? <laughs> Barabanov's flow, like, dude, that's that's why hockey hair is a must. Is because I'm watching him with that hair fly around the ice. I'm going, we should have never let go of Barabanov. He's a stud. You know who's <laughs> better hair Kapanen, but that's neither here nor there. Oh yeah, he's a captain. Yeah, all right. Continue the propaganda. The public enemy number one in the Pittsburgh area. The guy who couldn't finish, like I always said. But seriously, dude, like, they start the game with the exact same kind of play. That kills them against Vegas. And it's Austin Matthews, the tone setter on the team, the team's best guy, who hasn't really been himself. And you guys mentioned it. Maybe this is part of the equation that he's a little dinged up. But you said that too. Like, everybody's dinged up in the NHL. It's a physical game. It's a physical league. It's kind of hard for me to see that play start a game and not be a little pessimistic about the rest of it. And then, like, yeah, dude, there were two really lully periods where the Leafs just did not seem to be playing hard and this is a tough one because people hate to do it they hate to bring up the best player they hate to bring up the guy that just won the Hart Trophy but how much of this is just in your opinion on or how important do you think it is for just the best player on the team to be setting the tone 
Well, I, I think you have an issue, right? And for a team that's been questioned about their identity issues the last couple of seasons, you know, you can't look for guys like Austin Matthews to come and set the tone. He is purely here to score goals. You know, you can score 60, has the ability to score 70. That's what his job is to do. And he did that last night when the game was on the line and he scored that goal in the third period to tie the game. So um, I just go back to my days as a player. And when you're going on this West Coast road trip, you know, you, you start with baby steps. You know, you want to come out, you know, points in every game or you know go 500 you got to take it a period at a time a shift at a time so usually the game plan is you're on the road in san jose you know what let's have a good 10 minutes try to take whatever crowds in there out of the game but it just seemed like that was not the game plan it's like well let's just see what happens and it's a national hockey league a lot of teams are very very prepared they know exactly what to do against the Leafs, and they just know what to do now and that's sort of seemed what the issue was last night where the Leafs just came out flat and they're like well let's just wait around see how the game goes and uh, maybe the power play will get us back to the game. So we were actually sitting in the green room last night when it's 3-1 and you know everyone's doom and gloom. I'm like, no, 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 this story has been written before. They're going to come back and find a way to get a point because, you know what, everyone is now down on the team, and then they're probably going to go into L.A., win the game handily, and all will be fine. So I think right now that's the problem with the team. The highs are too highs and the lows are too lows. They have to find a way to get even keel. But I think with this group, what is their identity? You know, are they a team that comes out in the first period? Is there a team that comes out and, and runs around and gets in on the forecheck and, and sustains uh, puck possession down below the dots? It's just every different night. It's like what Toronto Maple Leafs team uh, is going to show up. And for me, I think that's the issue. Man, uh, what the other part of the issue is that they become predictable, like you just said. That it does feel like the Kings game is going to be, oh, they normalize and then they play well and people lay off them a little bit and then maybe they show up in Anaheim and then it's just the, the who knows, right? Uh, what's going to happen? On the road. Oh, yeah, you know, they got uh, five or six out of eight points. Not that, that's not too bad, isn't it? <laughs> that's it. Man, the, for me, okay, I've always been a process over results guy with sports. That's just like results matter come playoff time for sure. But process is so important when it comes to the regular season. And that's kind of what drives me nuts. Earlier in the show, I started today by saying Leafs remind me of the smart kid who is a bad student, you know, where you go, man, every once in a while you take a test and you're, you're clearly brilliant. And if you would just apply yourself a little bit better, that there would be so much here and the issue for them is that they haven't crushed the exams right the exams are come playoff time and they've just they keep flunking out the exams but every one of these fans and one of every one of these pundits keeps watching them going you have so much potential if you would just apply yourself if you would just apply yourself um it doesn't look like they're doing it early and yeah all of a sudden this weekend against the kings and the ducks two teams that again they should beat the kings are a good team but they should beat both those teams how much pressure do you think is going to build up on Sheldon Keefe over these two if they continue to play that the way that they have through the first eight? Well, there, there, there's a lot of pressure. It's, it's the National Hockey League, and, and there's a lot of results, right? But again, you can see internally, you know, the pressure that's on him, right? He's been mixing it up, mixing up the lineups. You know, you've seen Bunting go from 20 minutes in Vegas to you know on the third line uh, last night. Uh, you're seeing you know guys coming in and out of the lineup. Malgin's the man one night, and then oh yeah, by the way, he's in the press box for the next three. But he's feeling that pressure. But as a coach, you just got it. You have to break it down into shifts and periods and games. And you can't look at the big, big picture. So if I'm him, I'm just focusing on how to get out of that L.A. period tied or up a goal, how to get the guys motivated to not let a goal in the first five, ten minutes, and, you know, find a way to get your stars going. So that's – I don't think that's a motivation. You can do that with tactics. Uh, but I think with this group, they just need to find a way to show up. 
and again, I've been in a lot of bad dressing rooms, and the vibes are just bad. But you're just like, man, it's 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 not hap- It's not enjoyable to be to the rink, come to the rink, and you're seeing teams like Montreal have fun. You know, they don't have high expectations, so they're not ha- they're they're having amazing times at the rink. It just seems like this Maple Leaf time group right now is just waiting around, waiting for something to happen, waiting for the Avengers to come and save the day. But there's no help coming. You're up against the cap. I know, Mar. Uh, uh, I know Muzzin's on the long-term uh, IR, but who's out there that's really going to come in and make a huge, huge difference? You can't make these types of trades mid-season. You're going to have to do that in the off-season. So they have to do something with this group. They have to do it internally, or just naturally how everything's go. There's going to be some changes, whatever they may be. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I just feel like the coaching change is the only one, but then how do you expect the guy that has hired Sheldon Keith multiple times? Like I think he's the only coach that you know Dubas has hired. Uh, for him to move off of that guy or for him to basically pin all this blame on him. I just, I, it's hard, man, when you see clips of Sheldon Keefe, and it is always clips, right? So you're not, I'm not there, you're not there. It's hard to kind of parse through it. But man, I, the, the lull periods and the way that they look sometimes on the bench in these games when they shoot over there and just no one's really talking, it kind of feels like there are times where Marner's trying to sort of pick up the group and the Marner's trying to spark a little bit of energy, but that it's just not there. I I can't help but feel like that is the only move that this team can make right now. And that and that Dubas is eventually if it continues this way, he's going to almost be forced into it. Like uh like do you care? Do you watch the bench? Am I making too much of that? Yeah, and the game's all about energy. And 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 I and I talked about it. the teams that I played for were not very very talented. So we had to find a way to stay in games and that was playing physical or blocking a big shot and manufacturing that energy. And it just seems with this group it's just like, "Oh, well, okay, we're down." three we might come back we might not uh, no big deal so you know we talk about the big guns but you know we're talking i want to talk about the bottom six where you have an opportunity now to sort of cement your spot permanently with this maple leafs team here so that's where i'm like well some of these guys that they brought in it's like you have an opportunity to do something there's too many zeros across the board i talked about that last night zero goals zero assists minus one minus two do something. And, you know, we talked about Simmons and Clifford. You know, when they weren't scoring, they were doing something. So they're not going to go out there and score a big, big goal to, to tie the game. But, again, they're doing something out there. And everybody, you can't rely on the big three or the big four and, and, and goaltending. You need every single team, every single player on the team to do something and provide something to this team. So it just seems like there's a lot of passengers right now. And it's shocking to me because early on in the season after the way things ended last year. So um, they need that. They need a spark. They need to find a way to get some motivation, whether that's internally, or externally. But, you know, I go back to my time as, as a player. I loved it. I loved it when the team was struggling because I saw that as an opportunity for me to go out there and show what I can do. Hey, I belong in the top six. I belong in the power play. So uh, it just seems like as a group and as a whole, it's just, you know, they're waiting for the Halloween to pass and seeing what happens, which is, in my opinion, not good enough. Dude, this is something I was talking about last night on Leafs Talk with Sammy, was just how it's fine for Keith to try to juggle the lines and try to find different combinations in the bottom six, but last night's bottom six was just a lot of the same dudes. And I, I know Camp scored, but Camp is my guy. Camp is the one dude in that bottom six that I, I go, all right, I know exactly what I'm going to get from you every single night, and I like what the team does get from you. Um, they seem to have a little bit of an identity last year when they made that group the shutdown line. And now it just feels like they bring your boy Kerfoot up to the top six and there's just no, it's just all the same version of a guy that isn't really doing too much. And, and I did wonder, and I think this was Sam's point about how if you're the top guns, 
It's just every night you go over the boards, you know it kind of has to be you, which is all right because this is the, the model of the team. This is why you get paid the big bucks, that you have to shoulder the majority of the load. But they're, they they're, they got to be watching sometimes these Pierre Engvall shifts going like, okay, great. You're just like, don't don't give one up. Don't take two penalties in a row. How about that? Um, okay, Malgin, just kill some time. Just get off the ice. There just doesn't seem to be like any type of identity with any of these guys in the bottom six outside of, you know, that camp can kill penalties. Yeah, that's your, your you hit the nail on the head. And, and uh, I love talk radio because I always get to bring up this analogy. And we go back to the Nintendo game, International Ice Hockey, where, yes. you know, this team, a bunch of skinny guys, <laughs> right? And you know, to be successful in that game, you have to have the proper mixture and proper complement of players. You have to have some mid-level guys and some chubby guys and some overweight guys, as they would say, that's the proper term these days. So uh, I just think the mix is not there. It's just a collection of guys. Hey, you know what? We got our superstars. Let's get whoever else is out there, a mixed bag of players, and they'll weather the storm. But that's not how teams uh, that are successful um, you know, uh, are built. You know, you're looking at the Corey Perry's on Tampa Bay. You're looking at the Pat Maroons. You're looking at some of these bottom six guys that went on and made great careers in Coleman and, and Yanni Gord. Who is that guy? So you're looking at this roster. Who's that guy that scores that big goal in game seven or game six of the second or third round of the series? Who is that guy? And I, I think for them, they need to have that identity and find guys. But what's wrong with just saying, hey, I know we're, we're all in the business of media here. Hey, this is a good team. It's not a great team. And until they prove otherwise, let's not all get worked up. So I understand we all have jobs to do, but, you know, from a player's standpoint, a player that's been there and uh, on some good teams and not so good teams, they're just a, 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 you know, a decent team, which I know there's high expectations, but that's just exactly where they are. So it's tough for me to really get worked up because I'm like, well, I, I'm running out of adjectives, uh, DEA. Uh, they're, they're an okay team, which is, and they have some great players. Next question. <laughs> yeah, but that's but Stewie, that's what, almost what makes it worse, man. Is wasting great players or great players wasting their primes to me is more criminal than anything else. Like yeah. I want to know, give... I want to know. Sorry to interrupt there. It's yeah. like, what's the bigger mystery? Who started crypto or who's the odd makers uh, making uh, the Leafs the favorites to win the cup? What's the mystery? Maybe it's yeah. the same guy for all no. we know. <laughs> no, it's the same. It's the same thing as always, which is that there's only a couple of teams people care about, not like in North America, and the Leafs are one of them. And there's just like think about how many more Leaf fans there are than fans of just any other fan base, like diehards, like people who but would I'm actually on put. Twitter. I'm on Twitter, and I think they love the drama. I think that they love the fact that they haven't won the Stanley Cup because it's something to oh. consume them and give them energy and talk about oh. and fight about and. So yeah, I, I, I I don't know I I feel like I'm in the matrix when it comes to you know discussing the Leafs and talking about the Leafs but I understand but there is high expectations uh, they have some amazing players um, again I'm a, I'm a I'm a Toronto fan because I'm from Toronto you want to see the the local teams do well but um, again it's just as a former National Hockey League player you know there's players you know I, I see them all the time and you know I'm training the pros with Matt Nickel in the summer and they're just like how about those Leafs say eh? and they're waiting for me to go off and tell them how amazing they are because deep down they know that's not the truth they want you to say how amazing they are what what dude I almost I almost swore there bro I just want lots what they're so amazing no that's what's so annoying man is people want them to succeed I do think that there is a 
Like you're right that there is a certain fan identity of, oh well, this is the way things go. And I do think that's actually okay for people to be pissed at the Leafs because that's what to me sports are for is you're supposed to be able to funnel your frustrations into something that is meaningless. Like better that than funneling it into your job or your personal life, you know, your friends. Put it into sports, you know, get mad. Do be the weirdo that's just pissed off at the Leafs but wakes up the next morning and is okay. Um but I think people want them to succeed. Most Leaf fans I talk to have the same thing that they say, which is, I just want one. I just want one before I go, please. And as dark as this is, man, I think about that all the time, of just how many Leaf fans have thought that, have just thought, I did got to win one Stanley Cup in my lifetime, and it hasn't happened. Like, it's, it's bad. Yeah. They've I lost have, for so long. I had so one long. heartbreak. Yeah, I had yeah. one heartbreak. I think I was, I wasn't even in the league yet. I think I was uh, just about to turn pro and that's when they had Owen Nolan. They got uh, Ron France. They're like, this is the year. I was like, there wasn't even Twitter. I think I was on ICQ. I was sending ICQ messages. This is the year, guys. Uh Uh-oh. How many cuties were getting ICQ uh uh-ohs from you? Like, lots (laughs) of cuties. Stewie Stewie sent the, oh, I might get get drafted. That was probably your uh, MSN messenger profile was just like, hey, my agent's saying this, just waiting for the cuties to get in there on the away status. (laughs) There was no I there was no display pictures back then. Remember that, eh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank God. No, uh thank God for me, more so than anything. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just I, I think that there is a real um cloud hanging over this team and I think the fan base feels it I think that the team feels it I think media members feel it because they're tired of talking about the same things over and over again and I just don't know how they get out of it I don't know how they get out from underneath that cloud because it's just it's not going to happen in the regular season they could string six awesome wins together and there could be the I told you so Dubasite crowd that you know is basically a cult at this point that doesn't see anything wrong that has ever happened with the Leafs and if it is it's always like something that had to relate to the previous regime but as soon as they lay another egg like this one people are going to feel that way and that's why to me it just at some point there's got to be a shakeup and the more I watch performances like this I can't help but feel it it's like it it's going to end up being their coach and it's going to end up being a really, really tough decision for, uh, for Kyle Dubas. Um, you brought up one here. I'll bring up one more negative and one more positive. Because this is, again, I said, this is the only way that we can frame things now. Um, what do you think about bunting on the third line last night? Because, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, it's. I think he was down there because I think they're trying to shake something up to get Marner and Matthews going. I, I like his game. The one part where... You know, I think he's got to reel it in a bit. It's just sort of the extracurricular activities, right? And, you know, we did a, a pack on him yesterday, and, you know, he's fighting and scratching and clawing and yapping. And then you you look up, and it's against, you know, a team that's not even in your division. <laughs> so why are you setting a tone against a team that you're going to play twice a year? You might as well do that, save that for the Bostons and the Tampas and potential first-round matchups. So I think for him, he's got to toe the line a little bit better because he's got to remember his job is to, to get the puck to Marner and Matthews. So, again, I noticed, you know, he doesn't look as confident as he did before with the puck he's tripping it in a lot more he's dumping it in not really making the plays so I think it's more so about his compliment to those two players but uh again he, he put up 50 points last year he is a talented player and you know there's the theory are they trying to suppress him because you know he might be in the stratosphere of Hyman where he they don't want to pay him that much money I don't think that's the case um for him I think he's got to be a little bit better but he's got to find a way remember why you're here you're here because these other two guys want you here you got to find a way to to bring out their game but uh i don't know what a solution is if it doesn't work you know kerfoot 
I think is more so a middle six guy, uh, you know, another 50 point guy. Uh, but for him, I don't think he's as talented to make those plays uh, for those top two guys. So again, that goes in, in, into the bigger picture here where, you know, what do you do? What do you do? What is the move for this group? And right now, I don't think it's, it's firing the coach. You got to now, do something about the core. And that was something two, three years ago that we talked about. This is not on the coach. It's, it's on, you know, the, the makeup of the team. So uh, I'm not sure where you go, but you got to do something. And, and for me, I don't think it's the coach. Yeah, that's the easy solution, but there's some bigger problems here and you, you can't point that at the coach. Awkward silence. Yeah. Oh, I think I got cut off. You there? Oh, I thought- yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I thought you were like yeah, I'm, t- I'm talking. I'm, tr- I'm trying to cut you off the line. <laughs> Are you there? Connected. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm there. I'm. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hello. Uh, yeah, Hello. So can you hear me? Really great radio. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was going to imagine this. Was this the conversation between us the whole entire time? We weren't even on air. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That would probably be better for the audience right now who was just like, yeah, we didn't need to hear any of that. That sucked. Anyways, I just – to me, the Bunting-Hyman thing needs to end because I don't think it's good for anybody. Um, here's what's clear. Bunting is a good player who is good at playing with those two guys. And so to me, that is his spot. But if you're the Leafs, you have to play him down the lineup a little bit more because you got to bring his number down. You can't have him be thinking that he is Zach Hyman because flat out, he's just not. He's not. He doesn't play a heavy game like Zach Hyman. He is not afraid to go to the dirty areas. I think that there's something commendable about how you know he is not afraid of the contact. He's not afraid of the face wash, the cross checks, whatever. But he's not a comparable player. He can't drive a line. And so you're going to leave him down there for a little while, see what he can do. And when it's very, very clear that he is somewhere uh, he's, he's somewhere quite far below Zach Hyman, that's how you make it better for your negotiating tools. Because, again, you're a fine regular season team. You're going to get to the finish line with a bunch of points. Who cares if you don't end up with him getting all of his cookies and all of those extra points that he's going to get, end up getting? Um, you need to either find out if he is closer to Zach or if he's further than him than you originally anticipated, because the way he's tracking right now, playing with those two guys, I think it sets you up for a really, really tough contract negotiation, or maybe even another own rental, unless he's really taken like the hometown discount based on the points. Um, Tavares, you, you mentioned he got a new skating coach. I hadn't heard that before, um, but you're right. I don't know if he's just like faster, but I've described it as he just looks like a guy who has more time. Like he's playing with a little bit more patience and with a little bit more creativity. But I, I did want to get uh, a little bit more information on the skating coach and, and what you're actually seeing from his game. Yeah, so I, I read an article the other day that he was working. He had a skating coach for 13 years and he ended up switching the first year uh, with Paul Matheson. So Paul Matheson got hired this past offseason with uh, with Michelle Moore. So he's out of Barry. I think he works with some of the junior guys out there too. And I, I follow him on Instagram and just the fundamentals on he just breaks it down to the basics and how to be more efficient. And I think for Tavares, that's what it is. He looks more efficient and almost lighter on his feet. He seems like he's taking less steps. Uh, when's the last time you, you saw a pack of him like skating with the puck through the neutral zone, breaking off his uh, his, his attacker? Uh, so he just seems lighter on his feet, uh, you know, down low. You know, he's making those tight turns and he's actually creating separation as opposed to getting pinched off. So I think for that, it's 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 really great to see. He seems like he has a a lot more energy out there. 
And that's why I urge some of the younger kids here, they want to work on the dangles and the scoring. Really work on your skating. If you're not a great skater now, it's going to be tough for you to break into the league yet. But more so being a great skater, it's an efficient skater, taking less steps because it game's all about quickness. He looks a little bit quicker when there's pucks in the neutral zone or in the slot. He's quicker to get on that. So it's good to see that. And I think you're going to see his production go up uh, you know, uh, this year uh, compared to last year. So it's great to see because he's the one uh, – He's the one uh, player on this team that Microscope has not shifted on yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just hope that it lasts and that the season doesn't wear him down. Can I just uh, say something that, quickly about bunting? Yeah. It, it was already written. It was written. It was written that uh, Jack was going to get his five point, whatever it may be. It was written that Hyman was going to get his five. So I think for bunting, that the book's already written that he's going to be getting his long-term deal at four, four and a half. So you either give I'm it to him because that. that's a discount compared to what you're going to have to go out in the open market and get for someone to play with these guys. You have two major holes on that left wing uh, for uh, left one, left wing one and two you're going to have to pay a premium. So you might as well give it to the guys that you think can do the job as opposed to rolling the dice on guys that you think might be able to do the job and cost no. you more money. No, no chance. Um, I, here's what I think. Uh, if you're playing with those two guys, um, you can do the job, and a lot of people can do the job okay. Um, he's been better at it than, let's say, the average bear. Um, he's a solid player who brings them a bit of a different element. But no, man, he's what? Is he 27 now? No. He's, tw- he's 27. He's 27 years old. He came here because he's from here and he wants to live in this area. And he wanted to get that opportunity to play up on the top line. But that's an attractive spot, dude. If you're a guy who is coming off of a dip of a season and you're a free agent, you've got some talent, you've got you know some grit, that's an awesome spot for you to be in order to boost your value again. Guys will take less to, if they get an opportunity to play with those two guys. That's an issue and in with a salary the- cap league, no. If in a salary cap league you can get some good players that are on lower-term contracts uh, on short-term deals, then they come here for two or they come here for less and they get that same thing as he got, same thing as Nick Ritchie got, that two-year deal on the cheap-cheap but with a chance to play with elite guys. And if Michael Bunting is asking you for four or five and he wants long-term too, you are saying – Bye, bye, buddy. Good luck out there and enjoy getting that money if someone will give it to you, but it cannot be here. Even with the salary cap going up, you cannot do that. You cannot give long-term to a guy that's from here, that wants to be here, that does not drive his own line, that can just simply play with those two. You can find that somewhere else. And also, Matthew Nyes is coming up, all right? He's going to be here at some point. And if I'm thinking about, hey, who's the ideal player to be playing with those guys? Well, it's a power forward who's not going to be afraid of going into the front of the net, who can have a heavy forecheck and turn a puck over, and who's like, what, Nyes is six foot four. He's a, he's a beast. He's too young for it right now. But no, the idea that they would get the bunting contract done too early is nutso, and it better not be written because that's a mistake and that's like that's Dubas repeating history over and over again which is deciding something too early and then not budging off a number well my point is I think he's going to get it whether it's here or there but I think that is a that's a huge issue with this group that you know there's a, a conveyor belt off you know punting it to the moon when you're you know at 750,000 and then anytime you're making over two or prime to make two and a half or over you're out of the you're out of the building i think that's a problem you got to find a way to keep some of these guys that produce that you know what you're getting 
opposed to rolling the dice. So, you know, you're looking at last year, we were talking about what's going on with Nylander and Tavares. What's the issue? What's the issue? There's a big hole on that left side. So you need to lock in guys that can come in and do that job uh, that you know. You can't have question marks or band-aid solutions in your top six. You can do that for the bottom six. So that's my issue. And if Bunting can prove that, I think he did it last year, uh, that he is a top six guy. You, you give him the money. You give him the money or we'll be talking about next year, the next guy that comes in and what his problem is. And I think that is a, a big, big stigma with the sleep team right now. I, I think that there's something to that. And I keep bringing it up and not being able to quite put my finger on the, the whole lack of permanence to the group and guys knowing that they might not be here long term or whatever. But I, I can't help but think about Sid. And no, is Matthew Sidney Crosby? Is uh, Marner? No. But what do they always do? They went, yeah, we can get guys to play with Sid and we'll try out different guys and not everyone could do it, but we're not paying Connor Sheary big bucks. We're going you're to make sure that... Gensel. You're paying Gensel and you're paying uh, yeah. Rush, right? Where according to your theory, but I get these guys out of town. They're not worth it long-term. Well, eventually they, they are. <laughs> they are because what they do and how they stabilize that top six, right? But Gensel's not like, or Bunting's not Gensel. That's what I'm saying. You can put Gensel on his own line and he's going to produce. I don't think that if you put Bunting on his own line, he will. And it's certainly not going to be at anything close to the rate of what he's been doing on the top line. All I'm saying is you can bring Bunting back, but he's got to legitimately come back at a number that's three or under. Like, I I just don't think that you can hand over someone a perfect situation and uh, the lifestyle they want on the team they want with long-term job security when they weren't even in the NHL until 26 years old without having them basically take a huge haircut. So, yeah, if he can get four and he can get four or five and he can get that long-term, all the power to him, I just don't think that the Leafs can do it. Yo, we're, we're running out of time. Next time in studio, next time lunch on you. Um, that's definitely, that's a, you know, you're making the big bucks. That's the way that she's got to go. Uh, thanks for the, for the time, buddy. I appreciate it as always. All right. Thanks for having me. Go Leafs go. See you, pal. Uh, there's Anthony Stewart. And yeah, there's absolutely no way in hell. I'm giving Michael Bunting over 4 million bucks on a seven year term. Like yeah, that's, that's cuckoo bananas talk. The scary thing is it might be true, but no, I'm sorry. Even with the salary cap going up, you have to play hardball with the hometown kid who you gave the opportunity to. Like, what is Michael Bunting's contract right now if he doesn't come to the Leafs and gets to play on that top line with those players? Is there any other situation he would have gotten that contract offer in? No, there's no way. Cannot, cannot, cannot do it. It's a hard cap league. You have to stick to guns. You have to hold somebody like that to a lower term or or to a lower dollar value if you are going to give them term. Anyway, quick break, and we're back. Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk. Trade deadline's coming up. Teams are making moves. Sexy moves could be out there. Wide receiver sexy moves. Ooh la la. Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, next. Sportsnet 590. Another L for Brady. His season from hell continues to build up. First time he's two games under 500. It's absolutely wild. Uh, Mike Florio, NBC's Pro Football Talk. The man who was all over the Brady of the Dolphins thing. The first man to report it. The guy who stood by it. It ends up becoming 100% true, which we never should have even doubted. I know I didn't doubt it. Uh, he joins us now. What's up, Florio? How are we doing, man? How's it going? It's it's going pretty well. I'm doing better than Tom Brady, which is weird to say, because I would have never thought that that would ever be the case. Um 
Okay, so I mentioned it. He's struggling, and the team is quite bad. The defense does not look great. The coaching doesn't look great. Um, the offensive line isn't what it was when he won a Super Bowl. He looks exasperated. He looks frustrated. What's your read on what's going on with him now and what his future could hold? Well, and beyond that, he looks, I don't want to say ordinary, but he doesn't look like Tom Brady when he's throwing the ball, when he uncorks a deep pass. A couple of times last night, the balls were underthrown. One was to Mike Evans. The defensive back was able to close on it because the ball was underthrown. Kirk Herbstreet said the defensive back caught up to the play, yes, because the ball was underthrown. And then late in the game, there was an underthrown pass to Scotty Miller, that resulted in pass interference, as we often see with underthrown deep balls, because the defensive back can't slam on the brakes to avoid running into the receiver. So, look, the team isn't doing well. Brady's not doing well. But we have to remember two very important things. Number one, the NFC South, the division to which the Buccaneers are assigned, stinks right now. It's putrid. It's pathetic. If if the uh, – Panthers beat the Falcons on Sunday, and if the Saints beat the Raiders, all four teams will be three and five. One of those teams is going to win the division and have a home game in the postseason. And if it's the Buccaneers, and look, if any of us had to pick one right now, would we not pick the Buccaneers? They'd be the fourth seed on the playoff tree. They were the five seed two years ago, and they won the Super Bowl. My point is this. They can get to the playoffs, and when they do, that's when Tom Brady embarks on playoff game for his career number 48 This guy knows what it takes to win in the postseason. And there was something I saw last night, and I love it when they have close-ups of quarterbacks during NFL games on TV because it gives you an idea of kind of what's going on inside their brains. And they're down double digits. He's trying to drive the team into position to cut the margin. And he just exudes calm and resolve and determination That's going to serve them well if they get to the playoffs. And it's single elimination. And he's facing guys with far less postseason experience, whether it's Jalen Hurts or Kirk Cousins or Geno Smith or Jimmy Garoppolo. So I'm not ready to throw dirt on these Buccaneers. If they get to the playoffs, it's going to be very interesting, and they are not going to be an easy automatic out for anyone. So, yes, they're losing now. Yes, at some point they just have to win a football game. But, man, is it going to be interesting if they and the Packers somehow get a seat at the postseason table? That's the spin if you're Tom Brady, right? Is, hey, the NFC is flat. The team or the division is not very strong. I have a really good shot of getting to that postseason I just I don't know I've I can't imagine that a lot of those guys feel the same way around him as they once did like what do you think that his long-term future there the fact that he retired the fact that he walked away that you know there's been the stories about him leaving for Kraft's wedding that he hasn't been around the team as much do you do you not feel as though that has an impact on that group at all I think it definitely does look the guy disappeared for 11 days during training camp we've never gotten a straight answer on what was going on and the team I suspect Never got a straight answer as to what was going on. He goes to Kraft's wedding on a Friday night, doesn't fly back on a private jet to Tampa to be with the team for meetings and walk through practice the next morning, just meets the Bucs instead in Pittsburgh. That's an issue, too. And 
this has been a weird and awkward and delicate situation for everyone. I think one of the realities of a guy playing for so many years, life events are going to intervene during football season and become a factor. And if we're going to obsess over every player's hangnail as to how that's going to affect him, oh, he's got an ankle, how's that affect him? Oh, he's got an elbow, how's that affect him? Well, he's going through turmoil in his personal life that according to TMZ is resulting in a divorce with his wife becoming official today. How does that affect him? And these are all real-world concerns that come into play when you're talking about what a football team is doing, what it may be doing, what it will be doing. And there's an argument to be made that if he can put this personal stuff behind him and just focus on the task at hand, the nine games left in the regular season, you know, the idea that they become a natural underdog, everybody's picking against us, nobody believes in us. He tries to play that card when everybody believes in them, and it's kind of laughable when he does. He can truly say nobody believes in us. I'm just trying to get ahead of where this could be going. And I can see the dominoes falling in a way that they win that division, they get to the playoffs, and they suddenly become a problem. And we can't write that off. No matter how bad it looks right now, they can get better on the fly. Teams do get better as the season unfolds. They were 7-5 and five and not that great in 2020 going into their bye week. They got blown out at home by the Chiefs. They ran the table, eight straight wins after that, from 7-5 and five to 8-0 and oh, and Super Bowl champions. Again, this team's a different team altogether. But we see it seems like every year there's one or two teams that are hovering around 500 around Thanksgiving, and off they go. And the Bucks don't even need to be hovering around 500, not in that division. They can figure it out in January and still be a dangerous presence. My point is this. you got a guy with 47 career playoff games. He's not going to be freaked out in that moment. How many quarterbacks do we see crumble in those big moments when the full season is riding on their shoulders? Oh, we had, you know, like the Eagles, with a number one seed if that's what happens with them. All that work, all that effort, it comes down to three hours on a Saturday afternoon in January. I, I, I just, I, I don't want to overlook what quite possibly could happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I think it would be foolish for us to overlook what could happen with these Buccaneers as the season progresses. Do you think that he could come back next year? And if so, is it, is it an automatic that it is with the Bucks, or that he could still explore um, things like the Dolphins or the Niners again? He'll be a completely unrestricted free agent after this season. He can go anywhere he wants. Now, most people would say, based upon the level of performance that we're seeing on the field, it's over, it's done. I mean, it's not quite Willie Mays, but it's not the guy that we're used to seeing. He has said time and again he never wants to retire at a time when, as he watches football, he sees guys who are playing, and he thinks, these guys suck. I can do it better than they do it. So, I don't know. I mean, he's still middle-of-the-pack quarterback, above average. I mean, there's starters out there worse than him. Would he play another year? And if the main thing that was serving as the magnet to pull him off the field for good, his, his wife, and she said five years ago yeah. that she worries about him playing and she wants him to be healthy. And after they came from the 28-3 to deficit to beat the, the Falcons, that's when she started saying to him, what more do you have to prove? And she made a stronger push after Super Bowl 54 when they, they beat the uh, – they, they, yeah, they beat the Chiefs. I think it's all – it's a 55. I'm getting my Super Bowls mixed up. But I, I think that, you know, he, he could he could say 
now the thing that, that was trying to get me to retire is out of my life. I've moved on, and I can keep playing if I want to. I, I really suspect he's going to be done because I doubt that at this point you're going to have these teams out there that feel compelled to try to make a run at him, to say he's going to be the difference, that he's going to push us over the top. I think it's going to be harder for him to find that, that perfect spot where he knows he could go in, play one more year, and emerge with a Super Bowl championship. I think he desperately wanted to cap his career with a Super Bowl win, and he blew the opportunity when he didn't walk away after the, the Super Bowl win over the Chiefs. I still feel like the Niners could be that. If Trey Lance isn't ready to go next year, they just feel like he hasn't had enough and they don't want to pin that defense, that team, on the shoulders of a guy who hasn't been able to play a bunch of games. Because that that still is the group where I, I look at Jimmy Garoppolo and say, okay, so you came close to winning with him. And he has that turnover last week in the red zone, and it just feels like he has one of those every single big game where he just hurts you. I, I still wonder if Brady could be enticed to go to a place like that. Okay, so we have any uh, NFL trade deadline. Oh, no, 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 wait. Hey, hey, he could be enticed to do it. The question is, can they be – will they do it? He wanted yeah. to do it 2020, and they said no. And there was something weird that went on back during his retirement this year when he was out in the Bay Area and they hired Brian Greasy, his former Michigan teammate, to be the quarterback's coach. And, you know, I, I don't disagree with you. And, and the 49ers are in kind of this weird, awkward desperation mode where they're trying to do everything they can. I wouldn't rule it out. I, I, w- I can't rule out anything in this league. That's one of the things I love about it. Yeah, and I, 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 part of me just wants to see it, and I just think that it's, it's a nicer way for him to close his career because if this continues to go the way that this is going, unless it turns around the way that you're talking about, it could, and I don't think anyone should discount that because, again, you make a really good case. It's just, yeah, I, I don't think anybody wants to see Tom Brady go out like this. It just it, It's quite a risk if it ends up being worse. Um, why did the Giants move off of Tony so fast? Like, he was just a first-round pick. I know he was hurt a lot, but they need playmakers, and they're starting to win, and a third and a sixth I guess on paper didn't just pop out to me as, oh, yeah, well, you have to do that. Well, I'm sure there's plenty of stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. There's been reports about a disagreement between the team and the player regarding his hamstring. Is he healthy? Is he not healthy? Mm-hmm. I just think you have to be aware. It's a new regime. They didn't draft him. Coaching staff. Is this guy all in or is he not all in? Do we want to undermine the team by forcing a guy to be here who doesn't want to be here? We hear Mike Tomlin, the Steelers coach, say from time to time, we want volunteers, not hostages. I think the NFL teams, the ones who get it, are evolving away from that old-school, hard-ass approach to you're under contract, deal with it. They'd rather have guys there who want to be there. Having disgruntled players in the building can make it harder to get the guys to be fully all in and invested and so they get value for him, and they move forward. And for the Chiefs, you know, it's got the potential to be a steal. It's a great yep. long-term investment. He's under contract two years beyond this season, and they have a fifth-year option. He could become exactly what they need, and Andy Reid has a track record of taking players who have had issues elsewhere and turning them into guys who are never a problem on his watch. Um, do you expect more receivers to be on the move? Um, there's been names like Jerry Judy out there, Claypool out there. Um, how do you anticipate the receiver market moving forward? Well, we got, what, four days until the window closes on trades. I think the question becomes, and and I'll use Chase Claypool as the prime example of this. The Steelers, if they're thinking 
we're never going to give this guy the kind of contract he wants. He's going to be clamoring for it after this season. We paid Deontay Johnson. We have George Pickens. We have a knack for finding young receivers in the draft and developing them into great players. It's almost like the Steelers used to be with pass rushers, linebackers. Let a guy go in free agency, next man up becomes a star. Let him go in free agency, next man up becomes a star. So if the Steelers are going to do that, they're thinking about trading Claypool after the season. The question becomes, do we get more for him now if we trade him to a contender, if we can get multiple teams to start jostling for the rights to chase Claypool and they'll offer more and more and more, or do we just wait until March? Do we ride it out? A lot of it depends upon what happens this weekend. If they beat the Eagles, different vibe. That's why every year, as we get closer to the trade deadline, the question is, where is that team after eight weeks? Are they a contender or are they done? And I think if the Broncos lose to the Jaguars, then Jerry Judy may be more in play than he would have been. If the Steelers lose to the Eagles, Claypool may be more in play. Teams that win, teams that lose this weekend, that really frames it up. You know, another example I used this week, Kareem Hunt with the Browns. If they lose on Monday night, they're more likely to trade him, to get what they can and move on come Tuesday before the trade deadline at 4 p.m. Eastern. So, yeah, there's going to be plenty of speculation, and the trades that have already happened create an expectation that more will happen. I can't tell you, though, how many trade deadlines over the years where you get all jazzed up about what's going to happen, and ultimately it's nothing. And it may be that's the case on Tuesday. Who knows? Yeah, and I, I already feel like we ended up getting quite a bit more than at least I had anticipated uh, with the Quinn trade, yeah, with Tony. Um, yeah, I I usually, what, I guess hope for the bur- the worst, expect the best, or wait, no, uh, hope for the best, expect the worst uh, when it comes to usually trade deadlines. Uh, Mike Florio, this was great. Thanks so much for your time as always, man. All right, see you, pal. Take care. Uh, Mike Florio, NBC Sports, Pro Football Talk. A um, couple quick things because I only got a minute here. One is that, yeah, uh, even as a Seahawks fan, I want to see Tom Brady with the Niners. And I just think it's good for football, and I think it would be super interesting. And that Niners team, having Jimmy G is just – it's, it's got to be so depressing as a Niners fan because I don't hate Jimmy G. I think he's fine. But the idea of you winning a Super Bowl with him in a league of, yeah, you need to have quarterbacks make big plays at big moments, just – I don't see it. And lastly, it really does feel that way. Like, the league is so flat. There's so much parity right now that maybe we end up with a complete dud of a deadline because a couple of teams end up winning this weekend, like Florio just said. Or maybe we end up with an absolutely loaded trade deadline because a couple of those teams end up losing. And, yeah, some teams decide to get a little bit more aggressive because there isn't that upper-class tier that is so deep. So... I'm excited for it. I'm usually not excited for NFL trade deadline. I am for this time around. Anyways, great week, fun week, lots of great guests. We'll be back next one. Uh, Thanks to Austin, Jobo, Pete, and Bafo. Subscribe, review, share, do it all. Talk to you soon.